Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. The greatest problem of mankind, I believe, is people having opinions that they're stuck on. But the most important thing is that you gotta know that if you live in America and you're having a money problem, it is not because you're stupid and it's not because you're lazy. It's because you have the wrong information. The givers, the teachers, the helpers of the world most die broke because we don't know. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. The economy is always shifting and creating a financial abundance and independence is one of the most important things you can do for yourself. It gives you the freedom and the confidence to take control of your life. And today I wanted to bring together some of the most impactful conversations from experts on the topics of money, investing, and breaking through the mindset that holds us back from attracting wealth. So in this episode, we discuss the three most important things Billionaire Ray Dalio believes everyone should be knowing about money. The skills you need to master to create wealth with Grant Cardone and the 10 disciplines to know for maximizing your energy and success with Gino Wilkman. I hope you enjoy this one. Make sure to subscribe if this is your first time here. Share this with your friends if you're inspired by it. And in just a moment, let's let the show begin. In this first section, billionaire investor and hedge fund manager Ray Dalio talks about the three most important things we need to understand about the economy and how to prepare for what's to come. The greatest problem of mankind, I believe. Wow, that's a big statement. The greatest Uh problem of mankind. And it is an exceptional problem at this moment in time is people having opinions that they're stuck on you know, like I have to have my opinion and that's right and so on because it prevents them from resolving it, uh, from moving forward to finding the best answer, from compromising and or doing, you know. So like everybody's arguing over everything and it's almost like they're killing each other. And we're in a society, at, um, you know, I have another principle, which is when the causes that you're behind are more important to you and others then the system, the system is in jeopardy. Hmm. So are you just literally going to go fight? So here we are, as we think, will we fight or will we have protocols for having thoughtful disagreements and getting past them? That's why I love your principles and protocols. (laughs) In your opinion, how has this last couple of years been in the history of Uh, investing for you in the history of the last 40, 50 years, is this a really, really bad time uh, in your lifetime? Or is this just another bad time, but not greater than previous bad times? You mean in the world? In the world. Yeah. 
there are three things that are going on now, the three most important things that are going on to great extremes mm -hmm. that have not existed since the 1930 to 45 period. Okay. And it's important to know those three things and then to understand them well. Okay. Uh, the first is um, what is going on with money and credit when you get to something like a zero interest rate and you need buying power, the government needs buying power, but they can't tax it. So what we have is the production of a lot of debt that the central bank prints money and buys that debt to spend. And the last time that happened, in the last few years, it happened starting in 2008, interest rates hit zero. They couldn't lower their interest rates. So they had to print a lot of debt and the government went in and bought it. Okay. And we're coming to the end of a debt cycle. Okay. So this is a big thing, like, because where does the money come from? And who will get what? The government will now determine that and then they'll print it and it'll devalue money. Okay, this is, and how money flows, a big deal. So that's number one. Mm -hmm. The second one are wealth and political gaps that are causing great conflicts. Throughout history, there's always been, the main things that everybody's always fought over is uh, money and power, particularly political power. So what we have is a situation when you have a large wealth gap and you have an economic downturn, particularly if you put a, large, a lot of debt having at the same time, you, you have a fight. Mm. I mean, that's been true through history. Um, and it, it's reflected in the political gap. So the political gap is, um, you know, it's classic political gap. Left, right, you know, um, okay, capitalist, socialist. It, how do you distribute it? How do you, how are you going to deal with that? that? That becomes the other and how you fight. So that's the second of the two, the, yep, you know, yep. th this wealth political gap that's causing the conflict. And it's coming at a time where we don't have much money because we're print, we don't have a good financial position. We're printing and then and putting it out. So we're still paying off debts still, right? Yeah. And, but with made up money, I mean, meaning, <laughs> meaning what, what happened, like COVID was a, uh, such a good example. Okay. You have COVID and a, a lot of people and companies had falls in their income that were, would be ruinous. Mm -hmm. Okay. If, if checks didn't go out, we would have had a revolution. Right. And and so that those checks and how do you save everything and so on? OK, so and it's not like the government had real money, like it, they didn't have any money. They already owe a lot. So they just and printed so, more money to give. So the people they made more debt and then the government and the Federal Reserve printed it. And, the, you know, the checks went out, which diminishes the value of money and so on and changes things. So then the third thing mm -hmm. is the rise of a great power to challenge an existing great power. So the rise of China to challenge the United States. In all history, there are world orders. What that means are the dominant power. You know, it's like in nature almost, you mm -hmm. know, the big bull or something. Anyway, there's the dominant power. And then what happens is in 1945, 
we entered the American world order. The United States won the war and it ended. And then in 1945, the winners of the world carved up the war world. We had 80% of what was considered money at the time, gold, 80% mm. of the world's money, essentially. We counted for half the world's economy. And the rules were set in the United States, basically. That's why the United Nations is in New York, the World Bank and the IMF are in Washington, D.C., because we began the American century. And then we are now at a time, we've never had somebody, uh, another power challenge us in the same way. There was the Soviet Union, but they were always a fraction of the size economically, so couldn't compete on that same basis. They had nuclear weapons, but they didn't have the economic power and so on. But now we're dealing with China coming on as a power. I spent a lot of time in China over the last 36 years, by the way, and I admire how they're doing a lot of things. Right. I mean, I know it's controversial to say that, but in terms of like, they're a power. Yeah. Whoa. Like since, I started, <laughs> since I started going there, uh, their average income has increased by 30 times, you know, so they're a comparable power and they're also growing faster. And so that is, has an effect. So those three things are things that never happened in my lifetime before, but happened before in history, which led me to do the studies of, of what happened in history and the lessons I could gain. What is that? Those three things, uh, money and credit, wealth and political gaps and the rise of China. What does someone like myself or some 30, 40, 45 year old, 20 year old, what should they do with that information? What should they be aware of? How should they apply it? Does it apply to people uh, in America, general America, or is it only applied to the wealthy? What should we be thinking? about? No, I, it affects everybody. You know, it, it affects like we know. Let's start with ourselves. Most importantly, forget about the outside thing. Can we be healthy and strong? And what do we need to do? Like mm. to know that you, you have to be in it together. Like if we can row in the same direction, okay? If, if we can have thoughtful disagreement and get past that, if we can be in it together, like the wealthy and the poor, and, 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 you know, and if you figure it out, and, and I know it sounds so difficult, but at the same time, if you read history and you see what happens when it's not, when you have a civil war, like we could be on the brink of a civil war. That sounds so crazy. But the truth is, in most countries, in almost every century, there was a civil war or a revolution, some form of civil war or revolution. So it's almost inevitable that we're going to have something, okay? Oh. You either resolve it or you, you start fighting so badly that you really do until you resolve to it. each other until you resolve it. Yeah. Once you cross a certain line, there's no coming back. Okay. Because you do the damage you, you demonize and that person, such an enemy or that class of people is such an enemy that the communication's gone and the fight. Well, you see this in politics today. In other words, is there a respect for the system and a mutual respect? of trying to fight, resolve these types of things? Or will they go to any lengths to win? Because a constitution or law will only carry you to so far. 
okay? There has to be an element of respect for it, right? If you think about the presidential election, it's quite something that we as a country, as a people, when somebody might win the popular vote, somebody else wins the electoral vote, there's not even an argument. Like in other countries, you might say, those who had the popular vote would say, what the hell, I've won the popular vote, I think it matters, and somebody says electoral vote, and so on. Okay, there's not a question about that. Okay, now when you start to say, okay, is it this vote or that vote or this thing or that, and how far are you willing to go to fight and do rules matter? When you start to get cross that line and you do harm, you hurt and you alienate, mm. then you go to accelerate this process. And people should know what that looks like, how terrible it is. So maybe if they know what it looks like and how terrible it is, and they can empathize a little bit, but I, I see people don't, don't see it. I'm living in Greenwich, Connecticut. Connecticut has the highest per capita income in the country, and it's got the largest wealth gap. Mm. Most of the people in Connecticut are pretty poor. Really? I mean, in some cases, very poor. Huh. Oh, I'll give you an example. This is the community my wife works to help, high school students. 22% of the high school students in Connecticut are either disengaged or disconnected. What that means is disengaged means they have an absentee rate, which is greater than 25% and they're failing classes. They don't show up to class. That's right. They're, they show up, you know, uh, three quarters of the time and they're failing. Uh, or that's disengaged. Disconnected is... They don't know where they are. They've dropped out of school, 22%, one in five. So school is wow. not working for them. And they're in desperately poor areas. Like, okay, we had the coronavirus. And so her efforts and our efforts are philanthropic. That's what got her involved. Um, they don't have computers. They don't have connectivity. They have problems getting food. They get food in school. They need the food in school because they don't have adequate food. Okay. And- this is Connecticut, and it's right up the road. So we had to, we, we bought these kids, 60,000 kids, computers, and then wow. we're trying to get connectivity and so on. And you start to see this, okay? This is the same world. Now, so I live in one neighborhood with my community, and then there's the other. They don't understand each other. They haven't lived there. They haven't empathized. And in fact, there are resentments on both sides. Right. Like the people in my community, they're very rich by comparison mm -hmm. to those other people, but also to take care of their families, to educate them. They have their own challenges, the work life mm -hmm. balance and so on. They have their financial insecurities and so on. So that's what they're focused on. And then they might think, oh, these other people, they're not taking care of themselves. Why don't they pull themselves up by the bootstraps? Do you know what it's like to be a kid growing up in that neighborhood and trying to, what, what are you talking about? You can't pull yourself up from, you know, there's a problem. There's not enough food. There are gangs. They even are walking to school, past neighborhoods that are gang shootings and you can't, and there are not enough police to do it. Okay. So these two worlds exist. And then the others say, you know, well, here we are and you're walking around with your fancy cars and you're, you know, fancy clothes and, and so on. And we're suffering. I mean, come on. And so they don't understand each other and so on. 
we have to get past this. We have to be in it together, I think. Otherwise, we're going to kill each other. How do we, what's the main thing that both sides need, whether that be in Greenwich, Connecticut or in the USA on different sides? Is it empathy? Is it compassion? Is it a awareness? What is that thing that both sides need in any rich, poor dichotomy? Well, there's the, there's the intellectual thing they need and the emotional thing they need. Okay, intellectually, what they need is, oh, and maybe emotionally, the fear and the understanding that where this will lead will be devastating, okay, if they don't deal with it. If they don't deal with it together, and you look at history, you need the fear. You can't give people necessarily empathy or love. You know, we could say, oh, they should care about the other person. Okay, that's too much to ask. Yeah. You know, that's not realistic. Okay, but realistic is that you, if we all don't get it together, are going to have, you know, you like all that stuff you got? Well, you ain't going to have it anymore. Mm. And, and all of a sudden, the things that are the most basic uh, in terms of take care of it. And then if you start to realize that it's productive, like, what do you need to be successful? It's all I had when I grow up was I had parents who loved me and took care of me. I went to a public school. Okay. And I came out to a world in which there was equal opportunity. Those are all the only things you need. And, and, you know, healthcare, but when you're young, you don't need much of that. So those are the only things you need. Now, even in these communities, sometimes you can't get the parents, but you, you can get people who care about them, their teachers and so on. But you have to, to try to strive for equal opportunity. Do you think we have equal is, opportunity? No, of course not. Let me look at any any of the statistics. I mean, I give you examples. I, I studied um, this issue because first we, when populism started to come around and um, I thought that was, I needed to study uh, Donald Trump as, as a populist. And so, and then it's all around the world. And I, and I needed to study then the, the different quintiles, the top 20%, next 20% and so on. And I saw what the pictures of the lives of the majority of people are like, the bottom 60%. And equal opportunity, no, put that in perspective. The, those in the top 40% um, spend on average on their kids' education five times as much money as those in the bottom 60%. It's a self-perpetuating thing. It's not a bad thing. Those parents care about having their kids well-educated. So because they do and they take care of their kids, they're taking care of their kids, they're getting them well-educated and so on. But not being well-educated means you're not going to have the equal opportunity. As, and so as that gets narrower and narrower, it, you have that phenomenon. So there are a lot of ways you can measure whether there's equal opportunity, but I don't even know we can agree that we should have equal opportunity. I mean, like I'd almost take a poll, uh, you know, of the American people and see, could we agree that we should have equal opportunity? Okay. That'd be an accomplishment. Okay. Then if you could do that, then we say, can I take measures, metrics by which key performance indicators by which I could say, how are we doing on the equal opportunity goal? Right. And then and then monitor that and you say, ah, it's getting better or ah, it's getting worse. If we could do that, we'd accomplish a lot. Yeah, we got to get to that point first. This is fascinating. I'm, I'm curious about the mindset of making money. 
and there is a massive wealth gap. There, there are people that who are making money and some that seem to be making more and more money and others that are always seem to be stuck in the ability to make money, to save money, to invest money. They always seem kind of trapped in not making it. What would you say is the mindset that wealthy people have around making it and growing their money for them versus the mindset of people that stay stuck in not making it? Well, I, I want to distinguish there's big differences in opportunities. Yes. So let's say, supposing you have two people of comparable opportunities. Yes. And then they were going to do that. Yep. Okay. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host so listen we all know life is full of yada yada like those quote unquote free trials that somehow still charge your card for something or when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print and i know you've dealt with yada yada before like those bills that keep going up and up for no reason at all or when budget airlines promise a cheap fare but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying more than you would have somewhere else and yes it is possible to outsmart yada yada like triple checking airline deals to make sure all you need is already included but you don't take yada yada in life so don't take yada yada from your wireless provider metro by t-mobile has no contracts no credit checks no surprises and nada yada yada stop by one of over six thousand metro stores nationwide When you get a new car or a new home, your first reaction might be to say things like, oh yeah, or I can't believe it, or booyah. But what you really want to say is the one thing that can get you the help you need. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm is there with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. With a State Farm agent, you know someone is there to help you choose the coverage you need. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits for you. And when you need ways to get help, State Farm gives you options there too. Too. in person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com where their award-winning app State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. The marshmallow test, yeah. as you know, apparently, is you take a kid and you say, okay, uh, you can have one marshmallow now or you could have two marshmallows in 15 minutes. If you don't eat the first one, yeah. If you don't eat the first one, right? Yep. Okay. Once you start to realize that deferred gratification is going to make you better and so on, and you start to count and you say like something like how many days, weeks, months, or years can I live if I don't have money come in and you start to focus in on that that's the first step okay like the marshmallow test mm -hmm. 
Okay, so I want to save. You got to start there. Then if you do that, you're necessarily going to go save in what? And then you'll start to get exposure to how these things are different. Okay, then you start to care. Mm -hmm. You can have one of these and one of those, and you start to experience, and then you start to learn. And basically, that's what makes the difference. That's it. The, so first, having the ability to have delayed gratification, then obviously diving in, researching, testing, and, and trying different things. But the more and more you can say you don't want something now for greater later is the essential key. Well, and what it does then it, when it comes to the money, that means money. Yeah. Now, at that moment that you don't want it, you have savings. That means I want savings. Right. <laughs> okay. Now you got savings. So the next thing inevitably that's going to come at you is where do I put it? And then you get your choices and then you experience it and you learn, right? Yeah, because there's lots of places to put it for investments. There's real estate, there's stocks, there's building your own company, there's different places to invest. What have you found are the top places that people should be investing? Well, I think first you, you start with one of the most important things that you're closest to, like, is it your business? First, calculate how many days, weeks, months, or years, you can live on your saving. Mm -hmm. Because when you do that, you'll start to, you'll gain security. You'll gain that, okay? So look at how much you're spending, okay? And then say, how much do I need? And whatever that number is, you're going to need more than that because it may go down rather than go up. So, okay, now do I have a year spending? Mm. Okay. You start there. Then you start to think, what are the things that are most important for me? And then you start with your business or your residence that have a symbiotic relationship and that you know well. Let's say if you'd start with your business, okay, you're closer to that investing in yourself with whatever that may end up being, that may be your best investment. Not okay. real estate, not stocks, not the market. Well, it depends if you're doing something where you can do it yourself and that's the thing. But if you're in a job, that's not the thing right? because you, you're in a different position. Okay. And then I really think there's something good about your home, a basic thing about your home, because it's nice forced savings. And it also means that you, you fix it up. You, you know, you're saving, you find out there's, oh, well, if I add this thing or that thing, and you're enjoying it. Mm -hmm. So when you're enjoying it and you're controlling it and it's yours and so on, uh, th that's, that's pretty good. And if, you know, if they keep mortgage tax deductions and so on, you know, there might be some benefits to it also. Okay. But that's not a black and white answer. You know, so you could take yeah. a sharp pencil and say, is it better to rent or buy? Okay, that's a different question. Maybe yes, but by and large, am I going to move? You know, all of those other questions. But so when you start with, okay, what is it that's close to home and how much? You need a certain amount that's liquid. In other words, you, you got it in your house. You got to make a mortgage payment or something. And 
all of a sudden you're, uh, in, you know, it's not liquid and you lose your job, well, that can cause you trouble. So how much do I have that's liquid? How much do I have that's not liquid? Okay. And you start to get those things right. Okay. Ah, mm-hmm. oh, I've got enough liquid. I got enough. Okay. Not liquid in those other things. Okay. Pretty soon you're getting yourself in good shape. Yeah. You do those things, you know, you're pretty much in good shape. And then you're also having some experiences and then you go beyond that, you know? Mm -hmm. And then, so you start to, okay, what, you know, okay, what's a stock, what's a bond. And then, you know, you learn through experiences. I learned through my, my experiences. I started when I was uh, a kid, 12, I used to caddy and I took my caddying money and I put it in the stock market and uh, I was lucky in, in, in what happened to me by, by the way, is I took my catting money and I bought the only company that I ever heard of that was selling for less than $5 a share. And I thought that that, you know, well, I, I was really dumb. I thought um, I'll buy more shares. So if it goes up, I'll make more money. Uh, and it was the only company. It was a company that was about to go broke, but somebody, some other company acquired it. And it tripled. And I thought, ah, this is an easy game. And I like it. Easy money. So, but, you know, you experiment and you learn. You're a very philanthropic individual. You and your wife, uh, your foundation, your company, you you give back in a lot of ways. Some might be through donations, like computers. Some might be through financial. Some might be through just your work and your content on LinkedIn, which is amazing. I recommend everyone subscribe to on LinkedIn. The content there is amazing. You're giving back in lots of ways. I'm curious, what's the greatest gift a rich person or someone with money can give someone who doesn't have money? To give the knowledge, uh, teach a man how to fish is better than to give him a fish. I mean, I think you can give them both. You can give education and you can, uh, but uh, ability, the the capacity to be productive, because, you know, uh, if I can give you the capacity to go out in the world it's like go into a jungle. I give you a knife and can you live in the jungle? Okay. If I give you that capacity, that's the best thing I can give you. That's why I wrote the book and, you know, pass it along. I wrote those principles over years and I wrote them down and that's what I want to pass along. That's the most important thing. Yeah. But, but if you've, but if you've got money, you can help people uh, a lot in a lot of different ways, which is thrilling. What would you say then are the three greatest skills that people that aren't financially abundant or that are struggling financially should learn to master in order to be in a better position financially? Three skills, what would you say they should learn? Well, as I said before, I remember watching the movie, uh, I was young, David Copperfield with W.C. Fields, and he speaks to David Copperfield, and he says... Uh, he said something like, and I'll put it in dollar terms. You're in a hundred dollars and you spend $105. That's misery. <laughs> if you earn a hundred dollars and you spend $95, you'll have a good life. I mean, I, it wasn't exactly like that, but it was, but, but basically I know so many people who don't earn much, but are there. Because if you start to think about what it is that it costs you to live in terms of, let's say, the basics, 
you know, uh, give me a bed to uh, sleep and give me the uh, food. Let me be educated and so on and so forth. I think most people can get themselves in a position where, you know, they're net positive. Mm -hmm. So if you can be net positive and you could do that, that, you know, that's number one, uh, you know, uh, as I carry that. So that's, you know, that's number one. Then I guess it was the list that we went to, you know, the second is, you know, what do you do next in terms of what do you need? What do you invest in? You know, and then and then, you know, going beyond it and then there avoid the following mistake, the most common mistake of investing, thinking that the investment that did good is a good investment. People rather more expensive. Quite often, those markets that did really, really well became more expensive and everybody smart money is all the time comparing them and competing so what happens is um, the naive money buys the thing that was hot mm. or is hot. The thing that has been terrible, which might be the thing that's beaten down. So I would say also an important element. Okay, so here's another one that's really important. Diversify. Mm. So Diver- don't put all your eggs in one basket. Right, because what I learned about this is that first of all, all investments uh, compete, and it's not easy to t- sell, tell whether one investment is better than the other, because if people could do that, life would be easy and everybody'd make a ton of money. <laughs> um, so, and this is a competitive game that's very difficult to compete in. So, it's very difficult to say which one's better or worse. You could take experts, and you could and do all sorts of tests. And you'll find out that they can pick that and you can't tell whether the worst ones are going to be better. So because of that, you understand that um, uh, even picking the best ones is difficult. And particularly if you're naive, like we spend hundreds of millions of dollars each year on research to try to give us an edge. Okay. Now you've got to compete with us. So, uh, Competing in the markets is more difficult than competing in the Olympics. Wow. You wouldn't go think I'm going to compete in the Olympics, but there are more people who try harder in order to do that. So it's a zero sum game. Mm. So, but diversification that they're different will reduce your risk without uh, reducing your return. Yeah. So if you know how to diversify well, so, um, that's critical. So I would say, again, uh, get get your savings right. And the reasons I say, I would say um, have great humility about what you what you don't know. Don't buy the thing that was hot mm. don't, just because you think it's hot um, and then know how to diversify. Well, that those would be the most important things I could convey. In this second section, entrepreneur and real estate investor Grant Cardone talks about the skills you need to master in order to create wealth. I don't want to lose money. You don't want to lose money. But why do you think people are afraid to just talk about money, to make decisions on investing money? Uh, They're scared to go earn more. Why are people afraid of money in general, do you think? Well, I I can tell you, for me, like I was always scared of money, you know, and and I was terrified of it. So, So like if you look at, Still today, like I look at the bill of everything 
It's a bill of everything? If something costs something, I want to know how much it was. Uh And so, like, how much is it? Like, I'm going to ask that question. Whether whether it matters or not, it doesn't matter where I get in my life. I I don't think I'm ever going to be free of, how much was that? How much was the dinner? How much was this? How much was dinner? How much was the tip? How much was the coat? How much was the jacket? What did the... You know, me, uh, me and Elena, like Elena's like, hey, it's going to be fine, man. Like, look, what, look, 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 look at what you've done. We cannot spend this. And I'm like, how much was it? I want to know how much it was. Because when I grew up, you had to know what things cost. Mm-hmm. And so the point you're, you're questioning about money is it's a terrifying thing because it's the one thing in life that, you know, the NFL is not going to give me the ball. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm never going to get a chance to golf. I can't win in those environments. But with money, everybody gets money. It's the one place where everybody gets it. And now what do I do? Mm-hmm. And I, I can lose it now. So it's a terrifying concept, like like power. You know, very few of us ever, ever get any kind of influence or power, right? Once you get it, you're like, hey, what do I do with this? You know, am I going to do it? I'm gonna, am I going to do the right things with it? Mm-hmm. And so I think people withhold themselves because they don't, We're not educated about money. We don't know where it comes from. We have a lot of misinformation about it. Our parents terrified us. You know, money doesn't grow in trees. Uh, Save your money, it'll save you. All these these things our parents told us because they were enamored Mm -hmm. uh, or or encumbered with the same kind of liabilities around money. I don't know how to get it. I don't know how to keep it. And the, the third, the worst part that we're all at is I don't know how to invest it. Yeah. So what I'll do is I'll, some people get good at getting it. Very few, actually. Fewer people at keeping it, but probably more than getting it. Mm-hmm. There's probably a big group in America that have learned how to keep money. Because they're afraid to lose it. They so don't want to invest it. it. They don't want to use it. They don't want to, you know, um, you know, Kanye talks about this, how white people, how white people save all their money. And they just keep it. They just store it. Like I had a, an uncle, he buried everything he ever made. Really? It went in the backyard. Wow. The other uncle was, he worked hard, very, very frugal, Italian descent, mm-hmm. and he would uh, buy, buy real estate, but it was always buy low and sell high. He actually never sold anything, but that was the concept, buy low, buy the cheapest, lowest, get everything on a deal. If there's food stamps to be gotten, you go get those food stamps. If there's a, if there's a government deal, get it. If it's Section 8 and the government will pay you, pay it. So both these guys, different kind of mentalities, were extremely frugal. Mm-hmm. My other uncle was uh, worked in a refinery. He basically saved all his money, paid everything off, got out of debt. That was their lifestyle. My dad died when I was 10. So he paid all his debt off, had everything paid. And, and so that's all I had, right? Everybody around me was like, get money. Keep it. Keep yeah. it. Don't use it, you know, but you, but you should invest. But nobody ever learns that third one. Mm-hmm. And so I think we're just a bunch of people walking around terrified of this apparency of it's scarce. Right. And it's not. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not, there's nothing scarce about it. Didn't they just print more in the last Did couple we printed, years? I think we printed more money since the last time I was with you than they printed in the last hundred years. That's crazy. Since I saw you last. That's nuts. So everybody should have got a pay raise. Mm-hmm. And I know, I know people are scared of the bubble right now. They're like, oh my God, man, things, things have to, um, real estate's too much and stocks are too much. None, none of this stuff has gone up equal to the amount of money printing. Mm. So if the print is this high, you know, if, if the print is that high and inflation that we're hearing about all the time is this high, you'd have to assume 
it would ha have at least this far to go. Mm. But that's only because people don't understand when you print this much money, you need to multiply times nine because money, money's printed. And when you take your money to the bank, as soon as it goes into the bank, the bank gets notified and the bank now has the ability to, to loan that money out nine times. Nine times. Nine times. So they don't keep money. Okay. So if you put a million dollars with the wow. bank today, they're, they're going to go make $9 million worth of loans tomorrow. That's how, do they, what, how do they make that? How do they do it? Well, nine that's what times? they're allowed to do by their regulations. They can take a million dollars that you give them. That's why they want deposits so much. And then they can go give $9 million in loans on that one. That's million. right. Within a year, two Tomorrow, years, within microseconds. In one day, they can loan out $9 million if when they you, want to. When you, this is what people don't understand. They, and this is what our parents didn't understand, okay? So Bob goes out, Bob or Betty goes out, and they work, and they, make, they do really well, and they make two hundred grand a year. Maybe they're online doing online sales. Hustle, 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 sell, trading their most valuable thing. This is what I did for 25 years, from 25 to 51 years old. Spent my most valuable asset time mm -hmm. to get money, terrified, terrified every second of every day. That's, that's really what's driven me the whole time was terror. Like when you don't know, you're going to be scared. Yeah. So I'm going out to get money. I won't, I won't spend any of it because I'm terrified if I can't, I don't know how to get more. I'm worried I can't keep getting more. So then I'd get the money and then I'd rush off and spend my most valuable asset time again to bring it to the bank. Yeah. And, and then, then they go multiply it. Dude, they're telling me to save it, and they don't. Mm. And so when I quit listening to every everybody that's got an opinion about money online, or my neighbors, or my uncles, mm -hmm. and I started saying, what are they doing? When the I quit, banks. When I quit studying the influencers and started studying the banks, Goldman, J.P. Morgan, KKR, there's just an endless list of these guys. Mm -hmm. You start studying those guys. Elon, study Elon. Elon doesn't keep any cash. He thinks the whole thing's a joke, <laughs> which he's probably right. Mm -hmm. so, so what does he do? He reinvests everything. He's not paying debt off. He's accumulating debt. Mm -hmm. But Apple has debt. Google has debt. Facebook has debt. And they have cash reserves that, that are the biggest cash reserves on planet Earth. They could pay cash for everything, why do they, get, they don't. Why do they get debt when they have all exactly. the cash? Why do they do that? Because if I take, uh, the, uh, Apple just did this, okay? I got 90, I want to make a $90 billion purchase. I want to make a nine, and, and they're like, yeah, we got the cash for that. In fact, we have cash plus another 50%. Yeah. We got plenty of cash to do this, okay? And then one of their people says, okay, bro, you do that? That is not a tax deductible event. What we should do is we should go keep this and go borrow $90 billion. Really? At like point zero zero five percent, like they're gonna pay a half of one percent for this debt. Maybe they pay one percent. Who cares? Right. They're like, I don't care. It's a, it's a tax deduction anyway. Interesting. So now they have the best of both worlds. They have their cash and they have debt. Now back in when I was growing up, this debt would cost 10, 12, 15, 18 percent. It's so cheap now. This debt because we print money. We money is not scarce like our parents told us. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors.
If your child is struggling in school, then IXL is right for your family. IXL is an online learning program for kids that covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. Backed by research, kids using IXL are scoring higher on tests. It's no wonder it's used in 95% of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Plus, a month of IXL costs less than an hour of tutoring. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com 20. Visit IXL.com 20 to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Like, well, I was growing up, I bet you I heard, I heard at least from my mother, from the age of 10 to 15, if I didn't hear this 500 or 1,000 times, I never heard it once. We don't own the electric company. Turn those lights out, boy. Mm. I still have that going on today. My dad, my mom told me my dad would, because he worked so hard, dude. Like, he was so like, oh, I finally got it. I finally made it. Now I got to protect it. He got stuck in the second piece, keeping it. You know, it's an emotional keep. Mm-hmm. And so it's, a, it's not a rational thing because you're hoarding now, you know. Still today, man, it's, it's tough for me to buy blue jeans if they're not on sale. <laughs> and I'm like, right. this is stupid, man. Like, well, yeah. I'm, I'm just going to wait. Right. You know, so, so you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But it's really stupid that I even worry about it. Right. And I'm not saying on the come up, I think you should worry about it. Right. But there needs to be where you can turn that switch off. You said there's a lot of misinformation and people just aren't educated on on money in general when they're growing up, or there's just a lot of information out M- there. Mis- I think they're miseducated. Is more, it's not miseducated. a financial illiteracy. It's a financial, it's almost like we've been hypnotized mm-hmm. with the wrong set of rules. So if you could only share three pieces of information to your kids or the, the younger generation, or anyone stuck on hoarding and keeping money, what would you say would be those three things that you would share yeah, to change the philosophy and mindset around the fear of money. Well, I think number one is there's a bigger problem with hoarding in this country than there is with spenders. But what we hear is all the spenders who are getting into debt. Yeah. Right? Oh my God. You know, he did this and he's overspending, but really, really you have more of a hoarding issue than you have a spender issue. Mm-hmm. Number one, I think people err more on saving and not knowing how to use money than they do on buying Richards and, and, and Lambos, right. even though you see all that around LA. I walk into Vegas and I sit down at a table in Vegas and I know the three guys playing that are playing 10 times more than I am. The, like they're playing $2,000 a hand, I'm playing $25. I'm like, I know they. I know I'm in a better position to, to play what they're playing for, but mm-hmm. I can't do it. Mm-hmm. So uh, what the advice I would give people is like, I would just assume that everything you know about money is incorrect. Everything. Every single thing you know Just about assume money. it so you can get back to where? So that you can actually have a white, you can have a clean, a clean board to, to, mm-hmm. uh, to operate from. Because if you go out right now and try to stack new information, financial mm-hmm. literacy on top of, you know, a, a toxic foundation, mm-hmm. it, it, it's all going to get all... That's why when I tell people don't go buy a house, everybody freaks out. They're like, that can't be right. That can't be right. Why? Because that's what you've been told to buy a house your whole life because the banks want you to buy a house. Now, everybody just heard that's going to say, I just saw you buy a house in Malibu. Right. I can do anything I want now. Right. <laughs> Here comes the arrogance. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I mean, I'm in a position now, like if I want to buy that house in Malibu, I can. But on the come up, buying a house is not what you should do. You should, one, I would scrape off that you don't know anything. Two, I would invest everything you can in you. Mm-hmm. It's tax deductible. You never lose it. 
a person's personal appreciation will always be bigger than any other asset class. Mm, I love that. Okay, love Bitcoin that. can't match it. A Real person, estate can't match it. My personal asset appreciation will always, it is infinite. You know, who knows? I could be the next male Oprah. Right. Or somebody watching could be the next rock or whatever, right? Uh -huh. Like that, what, what, what is that appreciation value? It's, it's straight up. Yeah. So the, the first thing people should invest money in, even mm -hmm. use debt on, Mm. is their personal improvement. Mm -hmm. If you told me you had to go borrow $1,000 to to go to one of your classes to become great, and it had any potential at all, like mm -hmm. even a 1% chance of make, putting you on the road to greatness, I'd be like, dude, go, you go give Amex or Visa $1,000 right now. Mm -hmm. I don't even care what the rate is. Right. Because the infinite return beats 18%. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So number one, invest in yourself. Number two, I would invest in your business. Whatever your business is or your department, your division is, like the first 30 years of my career, I didn't have, I didn't own a company, but, but I did invest in my department. Even though I worked for a company, mm -hmm. I had a secretary. I didn't have the company pay for my secretary. I paid for that. I wanted her to work for me. It was my mom, by the way. Mm -hmm. And so invest in yourself, you know, like yeah. invest in yourself, then invest in your business or your department, your skill set. If it's your company, then invest in your company, even down to zero. I wouldn't keep money around. Okay. I wouldn't save for a rainy day. I wouldn't have an emergency account. Why not? Because you don't need it. What you need is you need hustle. You need other people's money. You need to go knock on another door, make another contact. You don't need reserves of money. What you need is cash flow. Okay. So how do we get cash flow? So you by making investments. That's the yeah. third. And other things, other things that don't require my skill set. So that would be the third piece of advice is start investing in real assets. That cash flow, B, that can appreciate. Three, that are provide tax shelters. And if you look at those three criteria, Bitcoin doesn't cover it. Stocks probably don't cover it. Gambling doesn't. Right. That one, gold doesn't, silver doesn't, real estate. NFTs business. don't. Yeah. NFTs don't because they don't cash flow. That's why when you invested in NFTs and you're like, okay, they're cool. You're crossing your fingers hoping, mm -hmm. but you don't see a check. With the real estate, I'm sending you a check every month. You're like, okay, I just got another check. I just got another check. I just got like, you don't have to be in mystery. Right. But the most important thing is that people need to like, you got, you got to, you got to know that if you're in, you live in America and you're having a money problem, it is not because you're stupid and it's not because you're lazy. What it's is cause, it? It's because you have the wrong information. The wrong information. If you're losing at the table, and there's pe other people winning there, okay, you're just, you just have the wrong data. And I believe that Americans, particularly Americans, have the wrong data about money. That they're financially, they have been, they have like met. There's medical misinformation. There is financial mm. misinformation in the marketplace mm -hmm. that is perpetuated by the banks and the institutions. Because every time you operate under their hypnotism, you benefit them, mm. not your family. So if someone's got between a thousand and ten thousand, and they're trying to multiply it to a hundred thousand, what would be the steps they would take? How long do you think it would take them to go from a thousand or ten thousand to multiply it? And would you say put that all in your own personal investment? Uh, would you put it invest in the business that you're in? Would you invest it in other things that cash flow, appreciate, and provide tax shelters? What would you do? If you got a thousand dollars, I would like just keep, you know, keep investing in yourself until you got another thousand. Okay. And and then invest in yourself. You know, now now you got two thousand investing. You go mm -hmm. go go. You should start making money faster. Mm -hmm. At some point, you should start like 
every time you make an investment in yourself, if I put fuel in my car, it's supposed to take me further. Right. Right. So if I invest in myself, then, and look, you know, there's things I bought that I didn't get a return on right away. But I didn't quit investing in a course or a workshop or training or education mm -hmm. because it didn't work. Or your health. or I spent yeah. 17 years going to school. None of it was any good for me. Mm -hmm. But it did teach me. <laughs> it did teach me how to go to school. Right. You know How to study. How to study, how to go there, how to, fin how to complete a course. Like, I, I completed college. Mm -hmm. I'm not proud of that, by the way. You're not proud you completed it? Why no, not? No, because it was, stu it was ridiculous. I should have dropped out. Like, I, I knew it was a bad thing. I knew, what did you major in? Uh, uh, major in accounting. It's a good degree. It's not like just some, you know, business degree. Right. But uh, you should have dropped out of it. Why? I should 100% because I, I, I mean, I would still, I would still, be, I would, well, I'd have a five-year jump on my career. Mm -hmm. But the problem is I was on drugs. So, so, you know. Physical, actual drugs? If I wouldn't have been on drugs, I would have quit college because I would have had enough confidence in myself. Mm. When you're on drugs, you can't have confidence. Mm. Cause you know, you, you know, you're drugged. Right. So everything is second guess because like my self esteem was like, like through, through the basement. And so I'm like, I need to quit college. But everybody around me is, Oh no, you got to finish college. You got to finish college. I'm like, what do I know? I'm a drug addict. Mm -hmm. And if I drop out, I don't have a degree. And then I got to hire me. And, and yeah. I didn't even worry about any of that. Cause mm. you know, I didn't worry about that. I just didn't have the confidence to follow my intuition. You can't when you're on drugs, when yeah. you're not yourself. So what, what do you do with a thousand bucks? Right. You know, I, I think you just got to keep investing in you until like, oh, oh now I'm making three thousand mm -hmm. dollars. Okay, boom, reinvest all that again. But what we do is we start taking it off the table, right? We save it, we don't invest it. So I think people just need to get on that that cycle of like, okay, I'm going to keep repeating this activity. I'm going to reinvest some money in myself, go to the workshop or whatever. Mm -hmm. Monday I got to be hustling again until okay, now I got four thousand dollars. Okay, now I got five thousand. Now the income's starting to pick up. Income has to pick up. In the income should be an indication that whatever you're learning is helping you. That's interesting. Until one day you're like, okay, I have more money here than I can actually invest in myself. I can't, uh, like, there's nothing I can go to right. to get rid of this money. You need to get rid of that money, though. All my free time is going to my workshops. I don't have yeah. more free time to invest in yeah. me. Yeah. I'm developing skills. I'm working. I'm earning more. Yeah. Now, what's the next step? Yeah. Now it would be okay. I got to spend money on marketing. I wouldn't mm. go make. A, I wouldn't go look for an investment right now. Mm. Mm -hmm. I'm going to spend money on marketing now. Now I'm going to spend money on marketing to get me more leads. Mm -hmm. And I would, you know, big mistake I made in my career was not spending more money on marketing. Because you turned what fifty when you really started investing in. I was fifty. I was fifty-one when we started playing the social media game, and and I was probably fifty-six, fifty-five or fifty-six when we started spending money on marketing. Wow. Yeah. Fifty-one I, when you I, started doing social media. Yeah, yeah, and, and, I, and I should have been spending money. I should have been spending money when I was twenty-five years old. When I was selling cars, I should have spent money. Been spending money on ads, but I was scared, man. So, so, so what made you not scared twenty-five years later, twenty-six years later, at fifty-one? I started studying. Hey, what do, what do all these successful people have in common? You know, whether it was the mattress dealer, the car dealer, the furniture dealer, or Elon Musk, they spend money, man. You know, they spend money. They spend a lot of money. And they don't worry about money the way I was worried about it. They used money. You know, they used it. They didn't save it. They didn't hoard money. Mm -hmm. And the greatest companies on this planet today, the ones that have just like, the, some of these companies have lost money for 25 years. Look at Amazon. Yeah. Reinvest. 1.7 million employees. 
When I started, I, I remember I looked at Ernst Young. I said, I had a buddy that worked at Ernst Young. I said, how many employees you got? He's like 240,000. Wow. And I'm worried about 10 people. Mm-hmm. What am I thinking? Mm. So, so when I quit studying individuals and started studying people, everything shifted for me. When I quit trying to be the, you know, when I quit worrying about what Bob was doing or Pete or whoever, and started saying, hey man, what is this big company doing? Mm-hmm. Because that also relieved me of being competitive with this guy, Pete, and started saying, okay, I'm gonna go do what Coca-Cola does. That's when I bought the plane. Wow. Really? Yeah. How old were you when you bought the plane? Uh, I was uh, 50, maybe 55, the first one. I bought it because I studied what Coca-Cola was doing. They bought planes. I said, why are they buying planes? Oh, then I learned how they write them off. And then I learned how they trade them every three years. That's crazy. So notice every three years, I'm trading a plane. I'm getting rid of it, replacing it with another one. But what are they using it for? They don't use it for pleasure. They're not using it for Instagram photos. They're using it (laughs) to go and set up headquarters in other countries. Wow. You know, so so that's when I wrote, uh, if, if you're not first, you're last. Because when I started studying these companies, I'm like, Coca-Cola's everywhere. You can't go anyplace and not see Coca-Cola. And I was this big. I was always thinking about what can I keep? Mm-hmm. And they were thinking about how many shells can we get on? How many eyeballs can we see? Mm-hmm. So that's when, it, that's when it all clicked for me. You know, and, and then that goes back to that thing about the financial misinformation, right? It's like, who am I studying? That's when we started, you know, open up the funds for, I was at, uh, went to New York City to go walk in Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan's offices. I wanted to walk in and see what it was like. These are hundred, multi-hundred billion dollar companies. Crazy. You know? And I walked in, I was like, oh my God, man. I just, it just all hit me in a second. I've been doing everything wrong. What were they doing different? They owned the building. Mm. They weren't renting the building. They own the building. Well, they don't care if they rent. They, they could right. rent it, but they own the, the elevators were bigger than the studio. Oh, right. One elevator. <laughs> and 60 people got on that elevator oh and went to, the, went to the 120th floor. And then there was six, six of these elevators, people going up and down. Everybody told me, don't take people's money. Do not let investors invest with you. Keep the whole deal for yourself. The second I walked Mm. into Goldman Sachs. Because all they're doing is getting investor money. That's all they do, okay? And the difference is, what I do is, I I could go to Goldman Sachs. I was there, they would give me money. Mm. And I'm like, I'm not gonna get money from them. I'm gonna do what they do. From individuals. Exactly, from my friends, from people that follow me, from people that support me, okay? Goldman Sachs will give money to anybody. Right. Okay, they don't know how to go to these people. They're not on Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn or TikTok. So I'm gonna create a fund where I can tell my audience, hey, Lewis, you can invest with me. I'm gonna kick Goldman out of the deal or JP or whoever, there's a bunch of these, these guys, you know? It's not that they're doing a bad thing or, or, or anything. I'm not saying they're, they're, they're the devil, but they're close, <laughs> okay? Because that, uh, they, they, they're, they're, they're not gonna call you up and say, how are you doing, man? Mm-hmm. You know, without saying, hey, you got any money to invest? Mm-hmm. It's just not, you know, that's not what they do. They, their job is to make money, period. In this section, entrepreneur and best-selling author, Gino Wickman, breaks down the biggest mistakes people make with their money and the 10 disciplines to know for maximizing your energy and success in life. For those entrepreneurs that you guys work with that all of a sudden start to make more, they implement this system, they start 
bringing in more revenue than they've probably ever made in their life, mm -hmm. right? And then paying themselves more than they've probably ever paid in them mm -hmm. their lives. What do they need to prepare for if mm -hmm. they start doubling their mm -hmm. income, tripling their income, giving them a big bonus check at the end of the year? Yes. How can they prepare themselves yeah. for the abundance yeah, of good. wealth coming that's in? That's a good one. Where they don't self-sabotage, right. mess it up, then deal with all the people in their life saying, gimme, 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 yeah. and hurting all their relationships, which I've heard that happens a lot. Yeah, yeah. So this one I feel a little bit equipped to answer. So I, you, you're prompting two or three points here. So the first is, you know, I have been broke three times in my life. Yes. Okay, so 21, 25, and 31. Um, I wanted to be a millionaire by the time I was 30. I achieved that goal by 31, so I missed it by a year. But what I left out of the goal, I want to be a millionaire by 30, I forgot to say, and keep the money. I lost <laughs> everything by 32. So wow. I went from being a millionaire to $200,000 in debt. So I'm, I, I know this pain all too well. And, and so that's point one. Point two is, you know, for our EOS implementers, we have over 450, as I talked about, these people earn a lot of money. It's a good gig that we do. We are transforming companies, making a lot of money. And so what I do for them is the ones that reach a certain level and beyond is I do a special full day session for them called a Freedom Forum. And my sole purpose is to get them to not piss it all away, okay? Freedom Forum. It's called the Freedom Forum. But this is strictly for EOS implementers. Yes. This is for our inner, inner sanctum, our love-in that is EOS worldwide. And the reason I do it is because I have the givers, the teachers, the helpers of the world most die broke because we don't know. We're all trying to fill a hole, and so we, we just keep giving it, giving it, giving yeah. it, giving serve, it. We serve, don't know how serve. to keep yeah. it. Right, right. So I've watched <laughs> so many of the thought leaders die broke. And so wow, I just really? I oh. But I can't disclose a lot of them. Yeah. Um, so in that, I'm teaching them how to keep the money. Okay. And so it's all about. I jokingly like to say it's not not time to buy boats and cars and planes. And no. so so it's it's this mental shift. And for me, it starts with the end game that just says, "Do you want to retire someday?" Mm. And most people are going to say yes, which means you can live off your money and not have to work. So let's. Most people are going to say yes to that. Okay, and so what kind of a lifestyle do you want to have? And let's hypothetically, you say $100,000 your lifestyle. Okay, simple math. Yeah. So then that means you need $2 million sitting in an account on that retirement day, paying you 5%, and you can live off that. And then you need to factor in, sit with a financial advisor. Yes. They'll teach you this. I don't take my word for all the math. But the point is, most people don't get that. And they think that for some reason, the money machine continues forever, and it just doesn't. And so it's a day of reprogramming their brains and teaching them. And, and so once they understand the math, then they realize this extra hundred, dollars $400,000 they have in their account, the urge to go buy a bigger house, buy a boat, buy a car, buy a this, they realize, whoa, I can put that toward the $2 million. And so yeah. it's just a mental shift because most people are conditioned to spend that money for whatever reason and think that the money's going to keep coming in. And it just doesn't always. Things change. So does that answer the yeah, question? Course, I, I yeah. hope it does. So don't spend it all when you're making it. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah, sock it away. Sock it away. Sock Invested. it away. Yeah. Yeah. And read The Millionaire Next Door. That's the best book mm. I've ever read on the psychology behind it. Mm. The people that you don't think are millionaires are millionaires. And the people that are you think are millionaires are not millionaires. That's true. Yeah. yeah. So. Who, who wrote that book? Is that a... Uh, two, two gentlemen, and I cannot remember their names. Okay, but yeah. Millionaire Next Door, Masterpiece. Yeah. It's kind of like the the millionaire next door that has like a twenty year old car and you know, 
changed my life in my yeah. late 20s for sure. My dad never bought a new car. He always bought used and had like this, you know, old Oldsmobile that he would drive. Yeah. And yeah, he was just always kind of reinvesting his yeah. money. So in properties yeah. or whatever it might yeah. be. So I love this. What else do we, what else do entrepreneurs need to know? Yeah. Well, so let's, so we'll go down these five pieces mm-hmm. of content we've been talking about, right? Yes. So Entrepreneur Leap, Rocket Fuel Traction slash EOS, mm-hmm. EOS Life. Now, the fifth is like the aha, voila moment, the icing on the cake, and it's called 10 Disciplines yes. for Managing and Maximizing Your Energy, and this is actually in the EOS Life book. So this I decided to do something very weird, and that's add a free mini book to the back of a book. It's the last mm. 30 pages, Yes. and the way I describe it is there's nothing else you need to do with what we talked about, again, as an entrepreneur or any being all the way up to living your ideal life. But then I call this one living your optimal life, because if now you want to take it to a whole nother level, mm-hmm. I believe we are all balls of energy. OK, mm-hmm. and we are pure energy. That's just my belief. And I believe that we are all connected. And so life will be pretty damn good if you just do everything we talked about. But to add this last little piece, um, (laughs) what happened with this is going back to the EOS conference that fourth year, I didn't want to teach EOS life anymore. And I got very vulnerable. And so this only goes back two or three years ago. This is not very, maybe two years ago. And I decided I am going to teach the 10 disciplines I have lived by in my life for two to three decades that magnify my energy 10x. And so in addition to living this great life, then there's this way to, boom, explode your energy to a whole nother level. And so that's what it is. It's teaching 10 very specific disciplines to live by every single day that will take your energy to a whole nother Mm. level. I love it. You've got a lot of great disciplines here. Knowing knowing yourself 100%, Mm. learning to say no often, you know, Mm. all these different things. Prepare every night. I think a lot of people talk about the morning routine, but the evening routine is something here, that here. I focus on a lot, yeah. which is, what am I going into? Well, first, I reflect on the day, and I share three things I'm grateful for with my girlfriend, and she shares as well. So we really focus nice. on That's gratitude awesome. and appreciation. And I think when we focus on appreciation, we mm. appreciate mm. into something greater. Mm. We focus on all the 100%. good. Even if it was a stressful day, it's like, man, but there's three powerful things that happened. And that brings us into a peaceful night of sleep. Mm-hmm. And then I start to really prepare of like, what's the main thing I wanna take on the next day? Yep. I look at what am I, who am I interviewing, what's happening, and I get myself ready to be focused for those 24 hours mm-hmm. or those 18 hours or whatever. And I think that is something a lot of people miss out on. They, they just go to bed. Mm. You know, they don't, they don't reflect on the day, yeah. they don't think about tomorrow, and I'm not sure your specific oh, you, preparation you, strategy. But, you nailed it, yeah, yeah. So, so if we could just, go a little bit deep into it for about two minutes. Yes. Um, you know, and as I go into these, the way I look at it is, you know, for your audience, they're driven people. These are successful mm-hmm. people. And so this makes an assumption that you've got the basics down. In yes. other words, you're eating right, yeah, you're yeah. exercising, you're sleeping well, and you have work ethic, okay? Mm-hmm. Then we're gonna take and magnify all of that. So you're a racehorse, as I like to describe it, and I'm gonna help you run faster and longer. Mm-hmm. So. This discipline that you're on, which is discipline number eight, is mm-hmm. is prepare every night. Yes. And so my, my business mentor taught me this at 25 years old. I've been doing it every night for now almost 30 years. And you're exactly right. It is before your head hits the pillow, somewhere between five o'clock and your head hitting the whenever your day ends, you have to sit down for 15 to 30 minutes 
and prepare for the next day mm. and just lay out in a sequential and a linear fashion your day, time blocking your meetings, your appointments, your calls, your projects. And so you're just laying out the whole day so that when your head hits the pillow, you are you took the words out of my mouth. Those words are in the book right wow. there. You will sleep better. Yes. So what does that do for your energy? You will literally wake up with ideas and solutions to projects you're working on the next day because your subconscious is going to work on them because you prepared so well. And your energy will go through the roof and your creativity will go through the roof yeah. because you what happens is you wake up the next day and you hit the ground running. And we and there are people that say, Oh no, I'd like to wake up and ha- let the day come at me, you know. Yeah, and yeah. so if you wake up <laughs> yeah. and you start checking emails or you walk in the office, you have lost all control of your day. And so this is you taking control of your day mm. and managing your energy, and you will be I want to say twice as productive, wow. but, but who knows the math, but you'll be much more productive. This is an interesting one right here. Yeah. You know, in your, I won't go through all these, but sure. number, number one, you say 10-year thinking. Oh, it's yeah. really getting clear on the next 10 years and kind of where you want to be in 10 years and, and reverse engineering it yeah. in, a, in a process that you talk about in here, which I think is really cool. But let me, let me say one thing to that, yeah. okay? Because it's a little more robust than that. And mm-hmm. I learned this at 35, so I've only been practicing this one oh, for wow. 19 years. But, oh, my God, was it transformative. And so the whole idea is to shift your thinking from now, 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 this year, got to have it now, got to get it done now. This this most driven people, most people listening, we're so impatient. We want everything now. If you can shift your thinking to 10-year thinking, not as much 10-year goals, but I, I urge when I'm doing this talk, you to write down a 10-year goal to get your brain to shift to that. But it's thinking about everything in your life in 10-year time frames. There's thinking out there that says 25-year thinking. There's mm. thinking that says 100-year thinking. I, I just want you to start with 10 right now. And if you will do that, all I can tell you is what happened for me. And what happened for me is this peace and calm came over me. I felt less urgent. Uh-huh. I started making better decisions. Mm. And ironically, I got there faster. When you're in that now, now, now mentality, you're making bad decisions. And so when every decision in your life is now a 10-year decision, oh, it's just so, so much better. <laughs> I can't even explain it to you. And so obviously I go into more detail in the Yeah, book. I love that. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and it inspired you on your journey towards greatness. Make sure to check out the show notes in the description for a full rundown of today's show with all the important links. And also make sure to share this with a friend and subscribe over on Apple Podcasts as well. I really love hearing feedback from you guys. So share a review over on Apple and let me know what part of this episode resonated with you the most. And if no one's told you lately, I want to remind you that you are loved, you are worthy, and you are matter. And now it's time to go out there and do something great. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home to move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors.